Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. MSW Media. They might be giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This ad was paid for with somebody else's money. Thanks to MedKline for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. If you suffer from shoulder pain or nighttime acid reflux or both, then MedKline is right for you. Get 20% off and a better night's sleep today at MedKline.com slash cleanup. <laughs> Rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, November 16th. I am your co-host, Allison Gill, and with me as always is my real-life friend and real-life lawyer, Andrew Torres. <laughs> hey, Allison, how are you? I am so good. It is <laughs> Monday after the election and we still don't know who's going to take the House, and we have secured the Senate. We went over this a little bit uh, on... Um, on the uh, bonus episode for yep. patrons that comes out on uh, Fridays or so. Uh, that is a free episode if you're at a $2 subscription level or higher. And we want to announce that this Friday we'll be having an AMA happy hour Q&A 
with myself and Andrew for our patrons at any level. Yep. And that starts at 3 p.m. Pacific time, 6 p.m. Eastern, Friday, November 18th. And speaking of patrons, <laughs> I want to talk about some of our new ones. We have PDC Bart, Andrew Green, Kai, J Rock the Vote, Karen Reynolds, Eric Bourne, Will Gunther, Michael Jesh, Hi, I'm White Lady, Michelle <laughs> B- <laughs> Michelle Booker, J.O., Linda McGuire, Judge Cannon has small bulge provision energy. <laughs> and always take the voting advice from a podcast. <laughs> yeah, put a pin in that one. I also want to thank D. Louise, Veterinary for America 2024, Jill McCaffrey, Adam Grokowski, Caitlin. I know there won't be a Texas live show, but I can dream. Hey, you know, that's that's not out of the out of the range of possibilities. Chris Bush, Andrew Quinn, Judy Myers, Troy A. Hill, Andrew Philpot, John Bragg, Stephen Vining, Elon Musk, parenthesis, parody account, and parenthesis, <laughs> Julie Bonitz, and Pastor of Muppets, which is a terrific Spoonerism there. I love it. I love it. And we have a whole other list of patrons to we thank do. and the second part of the show, and we'll get to that. Yep. Andrew, we've got a huge show today. I want to talk a little bit about the election. We can yeah. do a victory dance. We can do some Snoopy dances. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, what's going on over in the uh, Judge Deary special master case with a couple of back and forth filings between mm-hmm. Trump and the Department <laughs> of Justice. And we're going to talk about, we have a few other uh, quick stories to bring up, but where are we now? Where do we stand in this blue wall? I'm calling it the blue wall. Uh, of elections so uh always fun recording this on a monday to air on a wednesday and who knows what the landscape will look like by then but i think we have clarity um democrats can't take their foot off the gas uh in the georgia senate runoff uh we've we've got to get uh uh, rafael warnock back out there um but that will give us 51 votes in the senate Something people aren't talking about that I don't understand, which is weird, which is when you have a split 50-50 Senate, you have to enter into a special resolution uh, in order to um, agree on how you're going to split power, right? And that happened at the beginning of the last Senate. And so having 51 votes means you don't have to do that. Means all of these Senate committees will have at least will have majority Democrats, not a 50-50 split between Democrats and Republicans. There's no special agreement needed. It, it's really, really a good thing to get to 51 votes above and beyond kind of the... Uh, the Joe Manchin issue. So yeah, uh, we don't have to dick around with Mitch McConnell for a few months trying yeah. to set up our fucking committees, it, exactly and that also right. gives us full subpoena power. Yep, and and it secures that seat as blue for the next six years, yeah. which is very important because 2024, the Senate map is not as Democratic friendly as it was as it was for us in 2022 in this election, which we just found out on Saturday night with uh, announcing the winner of Cortez Masto in Nevada, that we now have at least 50 in the Senate. So we have captured the Senate. Again, we've held the Senate. But what's going on in the House? I think we've got like 17 (laughs) races left to call. (laughs) There there are, but most of those races are unlikely to change, uh, even with a significant, you know, percentage of the vote being out, right? So, for example... 
um, California's 27th district has not yet been called. 67 percent of the vote is out. And the Republican candidate in that uh, district has an 11 point lead. Right. So, look, you can take that one off your board. <laughs> that will get called uh, probably by the end of the week. But, um, that, you know, the, the likelihood of making up, you know, that's 15,000 votes seems pretty unlikely to me. So here's where we are. Um, bad news in that uh, Democrats fell behind in a district they were leading, Arizona's first district, uh, by a uh, this is now like one tenth of one percent. It's eight hundred and ninety four votes in Arizona one. So here's what the Democrats have to do. There are three toss up races, uh, California 13, Arizona one, Arizona six, that are all under half a percent. You got to sweep those. That will get you to 216 seats plus all the others that, that uh, fall into the category that I've described. And then you have to win two out of six long shots. And here's what those long shots are. California 41, California 22, Colorado 3, that's Lauren Boebert's district, California 3, California 45, and the longest of the long shots. I, I almost had this one off the board. Uh, New York 22, which uh, pretty much all the votes are in in the. Democrat trails by uh, uh, 3,000 votes in that race. So now this Wednesday, I'm traveling up to Riverside to oh. canvas and knock doors to cure ballots in California 41. I, I, that's, so, that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, that, that district still has uh, what looks like about a quarter of the vote out. Uh, the Republicans have a three-point lead, but this is, this is not an insurmountable lead, right? That's 4,000 votes. Uh, and you know, it is all just Riverside County. So, you know, we don't know what the characterization uh, of those votes are going to look like. So love that you're doing that work. Um, obviously, uh, Adam Frisch has been very, very active on social media with respect to curing your ballot in Colorado's third district. That is super easy. You can cure your ballot by text, right? So, uh, what look out, we have uh, signal boosted that, um, you know, at this point, uh, my best guess is probably that the Democrats are going to fall uh, one to two votes shy of of taking, uh, you know, of holding the House. And, uh, you know, you'd rather they held the House. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, to 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 be down to the wire and uh, for it still to maybe come in uh, is still worth celebrating. Yeah. And, and given everything we got done in the first two years, which was a monumentally historic legislative victory for, for President Biden and the Democratic Congress, and given that even if we did get a very slim majority, it would still be very difficult to get anything passed, uh, I think that the next two years, if we fall behind, if we don't make up some of this ground in these, in these uh, toss-up races and get our, get our long-shot races, wins that we want to get, that really the next two years are just going to be the Republicans screaming like howler monkeys, a bunch of stuff that got them voted out in this election. And it'll just be an absolute bloodbath. They'll be tearing each other's eyes out. It's going to be uh, interesting to watch. So I am, I'm more, let's see, how do I put this? I think that even if the Democrats fall short, democracy won. We we flipped a bunch of state houses, which is going to be important if more v. Harper goes through and allows state legislatures to throw out the will of the people. We put uh, we 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 ousted all of the we beat all the election deniers for secretary of state positions, yep. which is going to make a huge difference in 2024. And uh, I, I'm very confident uh, in 
in our democracy. I feel like I feel like we've shorted up a little bit with this election and I feel really good going forward. I think that's right. I think the last nail in the coffin, so to speak, will be uh, Katie Hobbs winning uh, over Carrie Lake in Arizona. Uh, that that looks like that's on track, but, uh, you know, remains uncalled as of uh, Monday when we're recording this. But uh, but you're you're. A appraisal of the situation, I think, is just dead on, right? That, I think that... it'll be called for Katie Hobbs by the time this episode airs. Love, love that prediction. Hope you're right. Yeah, so do I, because Carrie Lake is weird uh, and did dangerous. Did you see the, uh, the SNL sketch? Uh, yes. That, oh, just, Cicely Strong is uh, so good. Just perfect skewering of what a, you know, empty vessel bobblehead that uh, Carrie Lake is. So, yeah. All right. So let's get to. Um, a couple of other th- stories. Did you want to hit those other stories before we get into these yeah, uh, back yeah. and forth? Yeah. Um, about the the Trump and Judge Deary thing. So let's yep. talk about the Fulton County Georgia grand jury investigation because that seems to be ramping back up. I know that probably no overt investigative steps will be taken until the runoff is over in Georgia, and I might say the same thing for the Department of Justice as well. I think a lot of people think the midterms are over. They're not really over until that runoff is finished. What what can you tell us about what's going on down in Fulton County? Yeah, this comes from Anna Bauer, who uh, writes over at Lawfare Blog, and uh, this was on Twitter, which may or may not still be a thing by the time <laughs> that the, this show airs. And uh, and she points out that uh, we are in for a big week in Fulton County, Georgia. So uh, here I'm borrowing liberally from what she said. So. Tuesday, but, you know, this will have already happened, Michael Flynn uh, scheduled to appear before a judge in Florida who will determine if he, uh, like Lindsey Graham, should be compelled to testify before the uh, Georgia grand jury. Uh, I cannot imagine that that's going to go well for Flynn and his idiot position, but, you know, we'll uh, we'll find out. Um, she notes that uh, Fulton prosecutors are interested in speaking with Flynn about the December 18th White House meeting uh, at which he attended and Sidney Powell and drunk and flatulent Rudy Giuliani. Uh, this was discussed at some length during the uh, the one six public timeline. So that's going to happen on Tuesday, Thursday, uh, tomorrow, as you're hearing this, the real fireworks. That is Lindsey Graham scheduled to testify. Uh, I believe he will. Um Graham can he he has fought this all the way up to the eleventh circuit twice and lost, and uh, I I think he will finally comply. Uh, although you know you you never know he could uh, uh, you know risk criminal prosecution I suppose. But um, Graham can assert uh, either the Fifth Amendment or he can proceed question by question and assert that certain topics are barred by the speech and debate clause. But uh, but he's litigated that issue twice. Right. And the courts have given very, very clear guidance as to what constitutes legitimate deliberation and cajoling lawmakers in Georgia to overturn the vote does not count as such. So uh, Lindsay going to speak before the grand jury on Thursday. Uh, again, that will be confidential. So we won't know other than, you know, what news reports tell us. And then finally, Friday, (laughs) Fonnie Willis will uh, appear before the supervising judge for the special purpose grand jury. That's Robert McBurney and is attempting to disqualify uh, Holly Pearson and Kimberly DeBrow as uh, defense counsel because 
they represent 11 of the 16 fake electors, you know, who met in the Denny's parking lot and uh, certified Trump as the winner. <laughs> so that's going to be really, really interesting. That is a matter of public record. So uh, the the argument is uh, that uh, they are, you know, part of the problem. So, you know, for example, the court set a hearing. Since that time, Ms. Pearson and Mr. Brow had an ex parte meeting with the court to discuss certain privileged or otherwise protected information about the representation of their clients and then filed a response to the motion. Based on the written pleadings and the information the court has received, the court has determined that a hearing is not necessary. A written order will soon issue. That hearing is canceled. So uh, that is breaking news. Uh, not going to no longer, you know, uh, updating my earlier reporting uh, from five seconds ago uh, that the court is ready to rule on the uh, fake electors issue. And that uh, could come out even before the show drops. So mm -hmm. there you go. Big news happening. If you thought either the Fulton County grand jury uh, or uh, the DOJ was going to indict Donald Trump, you know, two days after the, that, that was never going to happen. Right. Uh, but, uh, but they are gearing up this, this looks like final touches to me. So uh, I would love to see that indictment come down in Georgia uh, within 2022 and uh we'll find out yeah and and kemp now that the election is over needs to go down and uh and testify he, yep. he had he successfully put off his testimony until after he ran his election which he did win um and now <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to uh i'd like to discuss uh what's going on over in judge deary land uh because before we get into these filings, everyone kind of needs to understand, and I'm sure our listeners know this, there is still a full appeal pending before the 11th Circuit that could moot all of this Yep. Uh, by just overturning Judge Cannon's order for a special master, which I'm really confident that uh, the Department of Justice will prevail because of the Chapman and Ritchie factors, which we've talked about multiple times on this show, even though Trump is now arguing that the the first Ritchie factor in Chapman is not dispositive. It, it, uh, that is the dumbest possible argument. <laughs> but anyway, keep going. It's really dumb. But no, there are there are possibly dumber arguments. Uh, exhibit one: Donald Trump's filing uh, to <laughs> in the court <laughs> with regard to the special master, who is saying as a defense, much like the Karnak declassification you know, thing where you just with your mind can declassify documents. <laughs> very, there, very timely uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson reference there. So They're literally for, arguing. For 90% of our listeners, Karnak the Magician was a bit <laughs> that Johnny Carson used to do on the late night television show in the, in the late 1970s. Anyway, keep going. I loved Karnak. Um, so much like the declassify things with your mind, their actual argument, which just screams to me that they have no defense here, their actual fucking argument is that simply by traveling as president with classified documents to his personal home in Mar-a-Lago, these documents magically become personal documents and not subject to the Presidential Records Act uh, or anything else for that matter. And, and, one of the th and I want to sort of set this up about why these non-classified documents are important. We found out recently that in his desk drawer there were two a confidential document and a top secret document commingled with papers 
and communications with a pollster and an author and a religious leader that date after he left office, which is can go to show, can prove in a trial, in a prosecution, that uh, possession of these uh, classified documents and, and, and perhaps utilization of the classified documents. And that's why they filed the broader appeal to get these, uh, to just get rid of the, the special master and have all of these unclassified documents because they could be proof of a crime. So that is very important. And so our, what the, correct me if I'm wrong, these documents that we're talking about are arguing about the non-classified documents. Is that correct? That is exactly right. So here's the status quo. Right now, the DOJ, uh, in connection with uh, the internal investigation uh, by the ODNI, uh, are reviewing, have reviewed, and can use in connection with issuing subpoenas uh, or issuing indictments or uh, seeking testimony. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. All of that, they can use those classified documents. That's what the injunctive relief that the DOJ won from the Eleventh Circuit protects, but. The DOJ is prohibited from using the bulk of the rest of the materials, anything that does not bear the classification markings, because they're tied up in this nonsense lawsuit that was brought before Judge Cannon. Again, not even really a lawsuit, a, a, a magical thing that doesn't exist. So there are two paths right now to the DOJ being able to use that information. The first, as we have pointed out, uh, is that... Uh, the, you have the appeal on the merits of which Trump has already filed his uh, appellant's brief in the 11th Circuit. The DOJ opposition is due imminently, right, in the next couple of days. Then Trump has a couple of days after that to file a reply. And I think you and I both agree that uh, the argument on jurisdiction really seems like a knockdown here. So I, I think you're going to get full relief from the 11th Circuit probably in a couple of weeks. Yeah, sure. It applied to the classified documents. It, it yep. will apply to the non-classified documents. Yeah. There's nothing about the nature of a classification of a document that makes it sub that makes that gives rise to different standing. Yeah, that's right. exactly right. right. Uh, but at the same time, the parties have to go through the charade in front of Judge Deary, who is done, right, his review of privileged materials. By the way, that yielded one half of one document that might have attorney-client privilege privilege in it. Um, so, you know, good, good, good work on that, uh, Judge Cannon. Uh, but <laughs> so the special master knows that this is all nonsense. Uh, the DOJ knows that it's nonsense, but we all have to participate in this farce uh, because you have Judge Cannon who is prepared uh, to give Donald Trump whatever the hell he wants. So one of the things that the order appointing the special master, Judge Deary, said was, by the way, you also can require the parties to brief up a bunch of legal issues. And the parties agreed and then identified that those legal issues will include, and this is how Trump has characterized that, whether plaintiff may designate records created or received during his administration as personal documents during or after his term in office, whether certain groups of documents are presidential records, whether categorization of a document as a personal record means it cannot be claimed by a former office holder as a subject to a claim of presidential privilege, executive privilege, whether plaintiff may assert executive privilege to withhold seized materials from the government, notwithstanding the four reasons above. Uh, and so all of the and then whether they have to file a declaration uh, that that 
these are all the documents, which Donald Trump will fight tooth and nail because that will concede that he has violated 18 U.S.C. 793F the minute he signs that declaration. So um, <laughs> that 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 that's never going to happen. He will right, not that's, sign that. You're talking about the uh, verification of the inventory. Exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which also means that he he would be admitting that the FBI didn't plant any documents. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that would happen. So. Here, all of the arguments that that <laughs> Trump has made, it, it really it's even more ridiculous than than you've said that you've said um, it is that he that it, it's a two step process. OK, the first argument is the president has unlimited discretion to declare anything a personal record while they are in office. And there's not a damn thing anyone can do about that. If that seems like a nonsense argument to you, congratulations, it's a nonsense argument, but it's supported by a lot of like selective quotation from a decision called Judicial Watch versus NARA. And yeah, so I, I really wanted to get into that. Yeah, that's like one of the crux of their arguments. It, is it, this it, judicial Watch. It's thing. it. It's they have they have misquotations from the Judicial Watch case, and that's all they have. OK, so I'm going to explain what the Judicial Watch case did and why it seems a little confusing on the surface. And it certainly will be enough for Judge Eileen Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo, to like show her whole ass and rule in favor of Trump on these issues, which she will. We know that's going to happen. But I'm also confident that the 11th Circuit is going to see through this bullshit for reasons that that, you know, will become clear. First step is president can do whatever the hell he wants. That's what Judicial Watch says. The second step is, oh, and by the way, the way in which the president can make classification decisions, calling something a, a personal record as opposed to a presidential record, is through conduct. <laughs> so lest you think I am making this up. I'm going to read to you from Donald Trump's brief. This is not my characterization. This is word for word what Trump's band of idiot lawyers, including Chris Kais and Lindsey Halligan uh, and Evan the Cork and that that whole group have said, quote, President Trump was still serving his term in office when the documents at issue were packed, transported and delivered to his residence in Palm Beach, Florida. Thus, when he made a designation decision, he was president of the United States. His decision to retain certain records as personal is entitled to deference, and the records in question are thus presumptively personal. And, and in case that wasn't clear, they repeat it again on page six, right, which is... As as in that case, President Trump's classification decision between presidential and personal was made through action. His decision not to supply the records to NARA confirms that he treated them as presidential records. So, yes, the former president of the United States has argued in open court that by stealing the documents, that was a way of saying, I really think these are all personal. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I <laughs> tweeted, well, you know, um, when... I robbed the bank. The fact that I brought the money to my house uh, automatically makes it mine. So I am immune from prosecution. Yeah, uh, so, that, 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 that's exactly right. Step one, I get to choose what money counts as what. And step two, the act of stealing money means that I am identifying that money as personal money. It, it is <laughs> it is cuckoo bananas land. And and before we even get into judicial watch, right, and, and because notice you have to maintain that fiction. 
Because even if the president has absolute unfettered discretion to declare records personal versus presidential, which, by the way, he does not. And I will make that abundantly clear when we get to the case. But even if he did, you would still have to have an evidentiary hearing or an affidavit or something on when Trump allegedly made these supposed characterizations, right? It's totally inconsistent with his behavior, right? He complied with the subpoena on, uh, you know, 15 boxes worth of stuff. So he obviously didn't think everything he shoved in, in into the uh, moving vans counted as as, uh, as personal records. You would you would want some indicia that he actually did something in yeah, order and to he, back he double yeah. He double wrapped him in a red weld envelope. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which means, I mean, that's not how you handle it. Declassified documents that are personal and belong to you. That is exactly right. <laughs> and so here's how uh, the, the DOJ responded. Uh, let me ask you something, because we, I want you to know about the Judicial Watch thing, um, because I think that that, is, that really is important to set it up. But something, something that I just, I sometimes, t- when I have a few minutes mm. in the day, I just sit down and think about the meeting um, where all these lawyers sat around the table and decided on what the defense would be. Um, it, because, like I said at the top of the show, at the, before we started discussing this, it shows that they have no defense, but that this was the best <laughs> that they could come up with. It, it literally shows that they have absolutely no defense to any of this behavior let alone why he took these records, which we haven't even figured that out yet. Um, and uh, also, by the way, 51 senators is really important because if we can get uh, subpoena power, we can still subpoena the president in the Senate. Uh-huh. Uh, so, <laughs> so please, <laughs> I'll send Raphael Warnock some money um, because I would love to see that. They can continue the work. The, the, the uh, Judiciary Committee can, can go back to the work that they handed over to the 1-6 Commission. Uh, one six select committee, um, which will be dissolved uh, regardless of, of of how the house turns out. But anyway, uh, talk a little bit before because I want to go through. I'd like to read the the five first five arguments of the Department of Justice's <laughs> okay. response. But do you uh, want to uh, talk about what you, I, have we have we sufficiently covered Judicial Watch and what that is? I think we have. So. Yeah, Judicial Watch is Larry Clayman's former outfit. He's been ousted from it that was designed uh, to harass uh, the Clintons. And uh, consistent with its mission, uh, Judicial Watch in the early 2000s, in the mid 2000s, filed a complaint against NARA uh, in connection with um, interviews that Bill Clinton had conducted with historian taylor branch right and i don't i you know you have that uh book i've got that somewhere on my shelf right that the, the yeah. like yeah and so uh the the argument so what happened in that case was bill clinton said that this is uh, i'm interviewing with a historian who's going to write a biography of my presidency this is a personal meeting these are personal records. They are not presidential records. And NARA agreed. Therefore, all of the tapes remained in the possession of either Bill Clinton or Taylor Branch. Twelve years later, 
<laughs> Judicial Watch says, no, Nara, you should have classified those as presidential records. And now we want you to go get them back from Bill Clinton uh, and reclassify them as presidential records and then turn them over to me pursuant to a FOIA request that I filed. Right. Because that's that's how this whole thing got started. They filed a FOIA request with Nara and they said, give us all the you know, background information on everything President Clinton said to Taylor Branch. And Nara was like, we don't have any of that shit. That's personal. You know, he just took Mm -hmm. it home. So they filed a lawsuit and said, no, it is absolutely should have been uh, presidential records under the Presidential Records Act. And uh, one of our favorite judges, Judge Amy Berman Jackson, uh, wrote an opinion. And the holding of the opinion is perfectly consistent with what the DOJ is now arguing. The holding of the opinion was basically like, you can't retroactively go back and force NARA to say they should have declared this as a presidential record. The Presidential Records Act gives them permissive authority. It's kind of akin to prosecutorial discretion. Right. right. And and they asked. Clinton asked. And then and Nara said, sure. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like that. What what Trump is arguing is that Clinton could have stolen them and then they belong to him and he shouldn't have had to talk to Nara at all. Yeah, the, the, effectively. But but I'm going to I'm going to get to the, the part that they're relying on from that. Right. So the holding of the case was. Uh, that this is non-justiciable because there was no redressability of the injury that uh, Judicial Watch says it is is suffering because uh, the archivist and NARA have uh, permissive authority under the statute to decide whether or not they want to declare a record to challenge uh, how a record is classified and to go get uh, and claw back documents that have been improperly taken and uh, taken away. And here they decided not to do that. It's 12 years later. We don't know where they are. Uh, Larry Clayman, go home. You're drunk. Okay. <laughs> so that was the B part. That was uh, uh, section 3B of the opinion. Um, the problem is, is that the A part of the opinion um, seems to suggest that the president's decision to declare a record personal rather than presidential cannot be challenged in court. Okay, this is this is dicta, right? It's not part of the holding, uh, but there is some bad language. So I'm going to read you a little bit of that bad bad language right now. This is page 298 of the Judicial Watch opinion. It says. On a practical level, the possibility of judicial review raises a host of questions. If it is available, why is the Presidential Records Act entirely silent on the subject? What standard of review would apply? Would there not be a high level of deference accorded to a president's decision about which records are personal? How could a challenge to a president's classification decision be litigated without the decision maker participating as a party to the lawsuit? And if a classification decision is reviewable, what is the statute of limitation that applies? Um... All of that suggests that Judge Jackson was thinking that at the time a record is created, now never minding that Trump has inserted the words or received, but uh, that at the time a record is created, the president has uh, virtually unlimited authority to declare that a personal record 
even if it's very obviously not a personal record. Um, now, I think that dicta is clearly wrong and was clearly wrong at the time. It has not been picked up by any other case. Um, it certainly leads to a host of absurdities. It doesn't help Donald Trump here in any event, because, again, there is absolutely no extrinsic evidence that he declared any of these records to be personal records at the time. And there's nothing to suggest the like, oh, uh, the the act of stealing them is itself a classification decision. That's that's preposterous. OK, well, that gets them around the, the whole uh, necessity of him having to say that he did declare them. Uh, anything. Uh, it just because of his actions. His actions made it so. But this does, I think, leave enough of uh, what what uh, um, Judge Cannon, uh, you know, Federalist Society weirdo, will see as a, a, a tunnel big enough to drive a truck through uh, to, to award Donald Trump what he wants here. But um, I, yeah. you know, I, I do want to talk about the 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 DOJ's <laughs> argument because it's really really it good. Really but is. we do have to take a quick break. We have to take a quick break. So we'll be right back with the DOJ's argument. Hey, everyone. It's AG for Clean Up on L45. The MedKline Therapeutic Sleep System helps those that struggle with a good night's sleep. MedKline offers clinically proven solutions that have brought pain relief and a better night's sleep to customers like myself. If you also suffer from shoulder pain because you're a side sleeper or nighttime acid reflux and GERD or both, the MedKline patented pillow system is designed to cushion your body in a sleeping position that is supremely comfortable. I swear, when I first put my wrapped my arms around the, the pillow and, and uh, laid down on it and put my arm through the, the you know, shoulder rest thing, I instantly fell asleep. It was amazing. It's a doctor-recommended, clinically proven to provide effective natural acid reflux or shoulder pain relief and a better night's sleep. As a matter of fact, 95% of patients reported an overall improvement in sleep quality when using MedKline. MedKline sleep systems are not just foam wedges. They're true medical devices, FDA-registered, doctor-recommended, clinically proven to provide relief. The patented arm pocket allows for comfortable side sleeping the entire night. You'll be enveloped in side sleeping comfort. And sleeping on the MedKline Reflux Relief System may protect against the long-term health consequences of untreated nighttime reflux, such as Barrett's esophagus. 93% of patients reported a reduction in nighttime heartburn with Reflux Relief System from MedKline and an overall improvement in sleep quality. And right now, you can get 20% off when you go to MedKline.com cleanup. That's 20% off and a better night's sleep today at MedKline, M-E-D-C-L-I-N-E dot com slash cleanup. Again, 20% off at MedKline.com slash cleanup. Hey, everybody, welcome back. All right, second half of the show, I'm going to talk about what the, how the DOJ responded to this uh, judicial watch, and I just did it with my mind and because I stole them, they're mine. <laughs> but, uh, but first, we have some more patrons to thank, so. Yes, absolutely. So let's get to that. Let me pull up my little uh, little big list here. By the way, thank you to all of our patrons for being so awesome. Uh, Elizabeth Norman, Veronica Hancock, McD, Megan Sage, Gary Olson, James Stewart, Mr. Wilt, Wondrous Widget, Ryan, Katie Larimer. For $2, will Andrew or AG say, I love the Federalist Society? <laughs> There's your answer. I just did, didn't I? Kyle Beezing, Reed Simpson, Lexi Patricia, Mira Loves Fandom, DevCon789, Rue, Tom Doherty, Aegis Rand wants to expand the house to one member per 30,000 people. I like it. Yep. James Allen, Sierra, and Rick Fleischer. And then I believe you're starting with uh, Jonathan Bollinger. Yeah, Jonathan Bollinger, Beth Young, Kim Dervish, Joel McCarty. Mastodon is open source, decentralized social media that Elon can't buy. 
joinmastodon.org. And yeah, I have meant to go uh, take a look at that. Sarah, Philip E. Copeland, Zelda, Gertrude McGillicuddy, which is an unbelievable name. That's so cool. <laughs> Ms. Michelle A. Morrow, Jeff Wilson, Carl Earl, Missy, Philip Zapf. Yes, Republicans do listen. Wow. Chris Ross, John Eastman hate watching from a sock puppet account. <laughs> And Colleen O'Mara, thank you all so much for supporting us over Patreon.com slash IO45Pod, A-I-S-L-E, 4-5-P-O-D. No one could possibly forget that. And, uh, yeah, you you give us as little as a buck and we'll read even approbative things about the Federalist Society here. You give us two bucks and you get the uh, extra weekly bonus episode. And this Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, all patrons at all levels. We'll get to jump on a Zoom get call Zoom with Andrew call. and myself. Yeah, oh, so good. Going to be going to be awesome. All right, so let me dive into this DOJ uh, response because it's great. Yeah, it, it really it's, is. It's, it's, it's so straightforward. Uh, the parties agreed to brief five global issues to the special master. We know the global issues. The government's principal brief discusses each of the five global issues below. First, the plaintiff may not designate records qualifying as presidential records under the Presidential Records Act, forty-four U.S. Code twenty-two oh one as personal records simply by saying so. (laughs) Plaintiff categorizes several hundred seized records as personal based on plaintiff's reading of Judicial Watch v. National Archives and Records Administration, combined with the assertion that, quote, these are items generated during the presidency that can be possessed post-presidency and effectively deemed personal. But neither Judicial Watch nor the text of the PRA gives the plaintiff the ability to ignore the statute by removing presidential records from the White House, retaining them without authorization in a personal storage space, and then deeming them to be personal, quote unquote. (laughs) Second, the plaintiff's designation of certain categories of records as personal records is inconsistent with the text of the PRA. Third, if plaintiff categorizes a document as a personal record, he cannot assert executive privilege over that document. Records are personal only if they are of a purely private or non-public character, which do not relate to or have an effect upon the carrying out of the constitutional, statutory, or other ceremonial duties of the president. By contrast, executive privilege protects presidential communications related (laughs) to the performances of official duties. (laughs) See U.S. v. Nixon. I love that they keep having to pull that one out. Uh, describing the valid need for protection of communication between high government officials and those who advise and assist them in the performance of manifold duties seeming to recognize that a document cannot be both personal and shielded by executive privilege, the plaintiff has indicated in dozens of instances that he asserts a sec- executive privilege only if the special master rejects his assertion that a document is personal. <laughs> the special master should not indulge this type of gamesmanship. Fourth, and in any event, plaintiff may not assert executive privilege or to, to withhold seized materials from the government. Right? That's just one of the old, same old arguments that we know. Yep. Fifth, plaintiff should be required to file a declaration or affidavit regarding the government's inventory as set forth in uh, DE 118 at 1-2. So that means sign off on our inventory, would you? And lastly, because the plaintiff has asserted attorney-client privilege only as to one document out of the 200 or 2,916 documents at issue here, uh, and has asserted executive privilege only as to 121 documents, there's no basis to continue restricting the review and use for the other documents, the remaining 2,794. The special master should therefore recommend the court injunction as to those remaining documents. So those are their five uh, main arguments. Uh, and something that I noticed was missing, that if you want to do, like, if you want to argue this under the Presidential Records Act, by the Presidential Records Act, you're supposed to fucking do that in the D.C. Yeah, district court. I, I, 
there is, it's almost as if there isn't enough room for the ways in which this is wrong. Um, yeah, it, it, it these arguments, I, I think the most astonishing nature of the Trump reply is the degree to which they are uh, outright mischaracterized, lied about, uh, or just ignored, right? So, you know, to amplify, I, I love that the introductory discussion made in the DOJ's brief just states the argument that Trump is making, right? So <laughs> this, this page three to four, it says, uh, plaintiff asserts that the PRA allows, actually allows a president to one, pack up and remove boxes full of presidential records at the end of his term in office, and two, convert those presidential records into personal records through the simple act of removal. To state plaintiff's position is to refute it. <laughs> um, which, which is that's my favorite which is pretty fucking funny um it, it it then goes through multiple reasons right distinguishes the judicial watch case but but i like of this the the last sort of sub reason is um but even if any of this were were true plaintiff's arguments fail even under his own incorrect reading of the presidential records act Right. Rather than assert that he made any actual specific designation of any records as personal records, plaintiff claims that he made a designation decision by stealing them, right? Simply because the records at issue were packed, transported, and delivered to his residence in Palm Beach. Um, but then, then it points out, it just leaves this out here, plaintiff fails to explain how, if the act of packing and removing presidential records transforms those records into personal records, some of the seized records, 69 out of 2,916, according to plaintiffs, are nevertheless still presidential records, even under his own categorization scheme. And it's a really, really good point, right? It's the one that we made kind of at the outset, which is, yeah, if if the act of stealing converts them into personal records, then your response to the subpoena at the beginning should have been nothing, right? They're mm -hmm. all personal records. Why am I giving you anything? They're, uh, they're, they're mine the second I load them on a box uh, and put them on a truck bound for Florida. That yeah, it's sort of like one of those things arc. like where you cash a check and it sort of means that you've settled a thing. You know Accord what I mean? and satisfaction is what that's called. Is that yeah. what it's called yeah. <laughs> in, in, the, in the term of legal art? Yep. Yeah, and that and that's what and that's exactly what it was. Like you should have said that you didn't file a lawsuit against the subpoena, arguing that the the documents were yours or that the records were declassified. You wrapped them in an envelope and handed them over, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, against this, right? Against the the DOJ saying um, you do not get to classify records as presidential or personal, just sort of based on your women say so. Here is, and, I, and I, I wish I were making this up. This is page three of the Trump reply brief. Uh, they just lie. And again, this oh, is OK, be... so this is this is Trump's reply to what we just read from the Department of Justice. Yes. Yeah. Because he filed an initial thing. We went over that. And then right. we just talked about the DOJ. And this is a reply to their reply. Right. And so to their opposition. Yeah. And so uh, that that's the way that these documents are called when you have a briefing schedule. So you have the the main brief that argues for something. You have the opposition filed by the other party, and then the initial filer, because they bear the burden of proof, gets to file a reply that responds to the opposition. So little you know, technical language there. So in Trump's reply, uh, they just lie. They say 
the the answer to the first question is exceedingly clear. Under the Presidential Records Act, the responsibility for designating documents as personal is left solely to the president, citation to Judicial Watch. And then uh, d- d- uh, hoping that Judge Cannon just doesn't read the DOJ's briefs, which may be the case, they write, and, and I'm going to read this word for word, the government agrees with this interpretation, acknowledging that under Judicial Watch, the president is responsible for document designations during his term of office, then cites back to the very portions of the brief at page five to six that you just and I just read from, which very clearly do not agree. I mean, just what a fucking unbelievable. Uh, if 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 anybody did this, if any lawyer did this in any normal court in front of a normal judge, uh, you would get called in and upbraided. I don't care how much they agree with you politically. Um, that will not happen here because uh, Judge Eileen Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo, is not a real judge. Um, she's just a, uh, a, a put uh, and paid for uh, Federalist Society and Trump personal hack. Um, that is also supported by a footnote one, uh, which they lie in the footnotes. <laughs> they do. Um, I was just going to bring that up. I was yeah, like, oh, ahead. and then they reference another lie. Yeah. In the footnote where, you know, where they say the government uh, uh, agrees with us. And then they footnote it here. Guidance from archivist David Ferriero aligns with this interpretation. See National Archives and Records Administration Guidance on Presidential Records 2020. Uh, blah, blah, blah. The National Archives Records Administration, quote, the Presidential Records Act places responsibility for the custody and management of incumbent presidential records with the president. That is not what that says. That That, that is not what that says at all. They will later use that to say that it applies not only to records created during his term of office, which uh, classification decisions do a- apply to that, but created or received. And the way in which they get around by the or received is just by adding those words in. Right. Um, exactly. I, I, because it is it, the it, 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 you know, you read this as part of the existing issues. It is impossible to square the idea that something can be a personal record for purposes of the Presidential Records Act that is uh, created wholly unrelated to the performance of your official duties and yet be subject to executive privilege, which is the advice you get as president in the performance of your official duties. Right. And and I think that DOJ has done really a masterful job of highlighting that the, the F. POTUS's argument is, well, I can argue in the alternative. And and that's true in some sense. Right. Like when you are responding to an initial complaint, for example, and I say, Allison, you know, you trespassed onto my property and then you stole my stuff and now I want my stuff back. You can argue that in the alternative, right? At at the answer phase, you can say, I was never on your property. In the alternative, if I was ever on your property, it's because you invited me. And even if I was ever on your property, I never took any of your stuff. And even if I ever was on your property and took any of your stuff, it's because you gave it to me, right? And those four positions are inconsistent at the outset. But we respect the right of litigants at the very beginning yeah. Yeah, to to set up. Uh, but once the facts have come in, you, you, <laughs> you, you can't say simultaneously, I believe this record because you are making an affirmative declaration here. You've moved to get these documents back. You've said this document belongs to me personally because it does not relate to the performance of my job. You cannot also simultaneously maintain uh, that it 
absolutely re- re- relates to the performance of my job, and that's why you can't have it. Um, that 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 is that is madness. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, but uh, for for procedural I have procedural questions here. Yeah, the, these aren't pleadings to Deary. These are pleadings to or briefings to Judge Cannon. No, they they are briefings to Deary that the party then also filed on the main docket, which is which is how we have that. Um, so so who renders a decision here, Deary or Cannon? Or so Deary will render a decision. Deary's decision will, of course, favor the DOJ, uh, and then. Judge Eileen Cannon will immediately come in and substitute her own judgment uh, and save uh, Donald Trump from the indignity of, you know, having to actually verify the stuff that, uh, you know, and having to, you know, actually, uh, you know, move forward. But but I, 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 I just I can't let it go unremarked uh, that at, at the end of the day. The argument that is seriously being made here is this is my personal stuff and therefore you have to give it back even though you acquired it via a lawful search warrant. And the the reason for that is um, search warrants take people's personal stuff all the fucking time. <laughs> and th- this is basically what the DOJ says at the bottom of page six. Uh, in their opposition, they say to state the obvious again. I love the fact that they are talking to Judge Cannon as if she is a not very bright child, because that's how you have to speak to this to this woman. Um, to state the obvious, law enforcement officials conduct judicially authorized searches to seize evidence of crimes. That evidence may frequently consist of personal effects, including <laughs> personal papers. That's why the government usually must obtain a warrant before conducting a search and seizure, as occurred here. Nothing in the law prohibits the government from using documents recovered in a search if they are, quote, personal, and plaintiff offers no authority suggesting otherwise. I love it. I, I, it. It 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 just is. It's it's completely bonkers. The idea that uh, you are going to, that you've somehow engineered uh, the right to obstruct an ongoing criminal investigation is um, I, it, this deserves more attention as to as to just uh, how bad it is. It deserves to have uh the ridiculous cadre of lawyers that are defending donald trump on this to become just as infamous uh as Sidney powell and uh and that group and yeah that's jim trusty we've called him out before chris kyes and uh evan the cork corcoran not to mention a local i don't know spackle lawyer lindsey halligan spackle lawyer I, it, it it these these people are making arguments that they know are legally indefensible, and they're doing it uh, in the service of authoritarianism and or uh, to collect a paycheck, and it's gross, and we should call them out. And and they're lying yep. and saying that the government agrees with yep. them, and that the National Archivist agrees with their with their absolutely they do not, not legal thing. <laughs> and, and you know, I have to wonder, uh, Andrew, if the Department of Justice is looking at they 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 write their their uh, opposition and then maybe they sit down and like redline some of the bigger words that are <laughs> difficult to understand for canon because they know she'll be an audience to this um uh, to this uh to these filings so uh procedurally to 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 kind of put yep. a uh, put a wrap this up in a bow so Deary's going to make a decision then canon can step in and overturn it if she does that i'm assuming they can appeal up to the 11th circuit 
Yeah, they'll have to get that certified as an interlocutory order unless that uh, contains injunctive relief again, which is w- what happened the last time. Uh, so, uh, you know, and then that will uh, go up, at which point the 11th Circuit has pending before it uh, the entire appeal on jurisdictional issues. And I suspect uh, that will prompt the 11th Circuit to um, to just issue its ruling and say, yeah, we're we're. We're dissolving this entire case. Yeah, uh, I don't think that they would hear or have hearings on this particular, on these yeah. arguments and these briefings. They would just say, you know what? The whole thing is pending. The whole yeah. enchilada is pending. Uh, let's just get to that. And and procedurally, what I would do, if if there is, if, if somehow this gets out in front of uh, the briefing schedule, which again is expedited before the 11th Circuit, uh, if, if that were to occur... Then you would see again our old friend the administrative stay, right? What they would do is say, "Oh, you filed your seeking relief. We're not going to adjudicate that on the merits at all because we're about to decide whether this case belongs here in the first place." So the Eleventh Circuit would just issue an administrative stay, uh, preventing Judge Cannon's order from going into effect, uh, and saying, hey, we're going to do that until we rule on the merits or, you know, two weeks, you know, whichever is uh, whichever comes first. So, yeah, and that's how I think that this will end up going. Yeah, if, if, I if, think that's if, right. If Cannon does step in, I mean, it could be that Deary makes a ruling and Cannon does nothing and then the ruling That's happens. possible too, yeah. Um, it, 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 so we cannot, I, I mean, so far she appears to be totally without shame, but sometimes these folks... You know, can be shamed and getting the crap beat out of you by the 11th Circuit, uh, you know, a court to to which I am sure Judge Cannon would love to be appointed someday. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That, you know, having your immediate colleagues go, okay, well, you're a fucking idiot over and over again. uh, It can be demoralizing. So I'm glad you raised that point. You know, so she may, you know, she may not step in with whatever Deary decides. And then it's, I mean, like I said, we've got two races here. We've got the broader appeal at the 11th Circuit. We've got this Judge Deary, uh, you know, knock down, drag out, fight on what's personal and what's executive and how they can't be both at the same time. Uh, So I, you know, that could happen or we would see this appeal. And if it does, if she does step in and it does get appealed, I, with you, I think there will be a stay on her order pending the outcome of the broader appeal to the 11th Circuit. And I think that that would probably... um, clear these documents to be handed back over to the Department of Justice, or they have them, to to be able to be used. To be able to use, In their criminal investigation. Uh, And, of course, there would be an emergency motion for stay to the Supreme Court, which would get shot down again. Uh, I'm, I'm, sir, I'm convinced. So I, that might be the fastest resolution that we have to this whole thing, is the 11th Circuit's broader appeal decision. And there you have it. Well, that is Clean Up on Aisle 45 for Wednesday, November 16th. We will see patrons on Friday, Woo-hoo. 3 Pacific, 6 Eastern, for an AMA Q&A happy hour mocktail cocktail shindig. So we'll see you there, and uh, then we will also be putting out that second bonus episode for our $2 patrons. Thank you very much. We love you. You make this show possible. Uh, I have been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres. And this is Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. 
Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, eating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is how we win. win.